Hello and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We are glad that you could join us today. And if you happen to be catching this uh, recording on a after the fact, not live, then uh, we're glad that you're tuning in and receiving this information in that way. <clears throat> As you know, we had to cancel last week's live stream, but we're back and something came up over the course of the time that we were away and some interesting insights came to us during that time that we felt that we should share with you today. And the insight related to this question of inspiration And what prevents us from accessing our inner source of inspiration, that source of light, that source of guidance, that source of direction and motivation, which gives to us our purpose and meaning in life, that which makes life worth living. And in the course of working through a piece on this particular topic <clears throat> that we were creating for a friend and colleague of ours, what spontaneously came up was the word expiration and how the topic that was being discussed and explored was the phenomena these days of commercial art and the risk to the commercial artist from AI. And as we were exploring this, contemplating and meditating on this question, it became clear that many, many artists simply do not or cannot express from their inner source of inspiration. Especially com designers and illustrators and so on. Because we live in a world where obviously we have to survive. Many artists create that which is commercially viable, that which is acceptable to what we might liken to a big machine, which has an insatiable appetite for, for consuming the talent of artistic individuals 
and pumping out content for what is seemingly an insatiable appetite in the marketplace for content and just content. Indeed, even in our own limited way, we have explored this question with regards to our own YouTube channel and our Facebook page and our Instagram. And we have done research into what it would take to get hundreds of thousands of followers to become listed on the YouTube algorithm, on the front page of YouTube, as it were. And we have looked into many successful YouTubers and discovered that they have entire teams of people working behind the scenes in order to be able to pump out content on a regular basis. Often, sometimes several videos a day and now shorts and then live streams and on and on and on it goes. And we sat with that for a good long time with, for just with ourselves, even though what we're doing here cannot really be considered art, but it certainly is inspired. And if it's not inspired, we don't do it. We don't say it. We don't share it. And as we were contemplating, well, what would it take to do several videos, at the very least, multiple videos a week, several videos a day, not only the time and energy and everything else, but the, but the contents of those videos. Where would it come from? Where would, the, where would that content come from? If it, but, but from in here. And we realized we can't pump out several videos a day or a week even. We have to remain inspired. We have to, the content that we share with you has to come from that higher place. And also related to the same phenomenon, we ran into the harsh reality that many of the most successful YouTubers, content creators, have gained their following by being very, what's the word? For lack of a better word, very negative, confrontational, reactive, and, uh, you know, having ranting type videos and videos where people can go and indulge their own anger because misery prefers company. 
and make no mistake, we've, we often get accused of being negative. But, you see, we're negative in the wrong way. We're not, we're, ne we're, we're seen as being negative because we stand in stark contrast and in opposition to the unconsciousness of the world and, and people's zombification and, and the fact that they want to indulge their desires, they want to indulge their egos. We stand in opposition to that. And, th and for this, we are branded negative. But, we're, but that's not the good kind of negative, right? The good kind of negative is the person who rants and raves in a way that they can relate to, that they can identify with, and, they, and say, yeah, 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 he's saying just what I'm thinking. I think that about the other side too, about them over there, and how they're ruining everything, and how they're ruining the world, and how this is no good, and that's no good. And so, in other words, there's a, an appetite for content that people can consume, which indulges their darker side, which indulges their own anger and frustration and fear and desire to control and gluttony and laziness and on and on and on it goes and blaming and their own unique kind of victimization their own unique brand of victimhood whatever that may be and many of them or let's rephrase that very few of them would admit to that they will very quickly accuse other people of having a victim mentality but they failed to see the hypocrisy in their own negativity. And you can probably guess that a lot of the type of content, a lot of the type of uh, content that we're talking about here uh, relates to politics, identity politics, but also other facets, entertainment, and so on and so forth. People like to, people like criticism, people not, not receive it, they like to indulge in criticizing others and in other things. And they like to hear really good, clever critics espousing their witticisms and their cleverness as to how ta not tactfully, how cleverly they can put something down and pick something apart and give all the reasons why it's not any good. Is it any wonder then that in this day and age, the films that are released, the television programs that are made, are so hollow and so empty and so shallow? Is it any wonder that so-called commercial art across the board, in many cases, displays tremendous art history? They are 
in many ways technically spectacular and aesthetically very pleasing, very pleasing to the senses and very pleasing to our aesthetic sensibilities. But they are hollow, they are shallow. The big machine that is churning out this content takes artists and seems to sap the soul out of them and, and desires of them only their talent, only their artistry to pump out what? To give the people what they want. And it seems what the vast majority of people want is to simply indulge their desires, which are by definition shallow and empty. They are transient. They are impermanent. Nothing that is transient and impermanent can have any depth to it, can have any, can put down any roots of any real value because it's just dust in the wind. We want this one minute and then we get it and then boom, it's gone. We've, we've, we've forgotten all about it. And you, and you look at the uh, properties that are being created today in terms of, of uh, media, film, television, and so on, they are wholly forgettable. You begin forgetting what you saw the moment you step out of the theater. You perhaps start even, you first start forgetting character names, start forgetting the plot. By the time you get home, you can't even remember half of what happened in the film that you just watched. It is so forgettable. It is so devoid of any meaning, of any purpose. And that is because it was not produced under a condition of inspiration. It was not inspired. And so naturally, it has a very short lifespan in your own consciousness. It expires very quickly. It has a short shelf life. It doesn't last. It doesn't endure. It has no solid foundation. It's built on a foundation of sand and a swift breeze blows it all away. Because inspiration, something that is inspired, is rooted, is grounded in spirit, of course. That's where the word comes from. And the spirit is eternal. It's universal. It's timeless. It's unchanging. It's unflinching. This is, after all, why you're here. Why we're all here. And if we want to look at this from a Buddhist perspective for a moment, Buddha states it's 
It's all about centering oneself and removing identification and attachment to all the impermanence of the world and all the impermanence around us. There is no, it has no future, none of that has any future. It will all expire, including us, we mortal vessels, we will expire. We have a limited shelf life. What, somewhere in the ballpark of 80 years, 85 if you're a woman, if we have our most recent statistics correct on that? Maybe those numbers are fluctuating up and down because of various different factors like the explosion of diabetes in the West and so on. Maybe those numbers have been sh shifted downward somewhat. But roughly, we all have an expiration date. It is inevitable and unavoidable. It is a fact of life. Death is a fact of life. This relationship between inspiration and expiration is multifaceted and very complicated. It's a complex relationship. It's not a simple dichotomy. In the description for today's talk, we talked about the fear of death and how secular scientists, psychologists, anthropologists will say, biologists will say that the fear of death is one of the most powerful motivating factors for all living beings. The struggle for survival, the struggle for the to take to take one more breath which unironically we refer to as respiration this is a very interesting sequence of words they all have the same root inspiration respiration and expiration. They are all related. The significance of their interrelationship comes and is not only informed by, but in fact can inform us of the phenomenon that we refer, refer to as the alm of life, the analogous ultimate methodology, which talks about the ascending and descending spirals, which have the characteristic of expansion or contraction, explosion or implosion. Or expansion and synthesis, to use a better word there. And that expansion and contraction, that radiation and gravitation, 
attraction, and repulsion. These forces are universal in every aspect, including metaphysical aspects. We don't have to just think about uh, physical repulsion and, and physical gravity or a physical explosion. Magnetism, for example, as attraction and repulsion of the different poles, depending on their orientation, that's a fourth dimensional phenomenon. We can observe it in three dimensions because magnets are three dimensional. But magnetism, the magnetic fields, are in the fourth, fourth dimension. And we have all experienced magnetism or repulsion on a personal level, a level, a social level, a level of relationships. What is that? That's not physical. You could be, we suppose you could be physically repulsed by someone, the way they look. But in practical terms, very often when we talk about people we don't like, it's not because we don't like the way they look. That's like the bottom of the list. It's how they make us feel. It's how, they, it's how our energies interact. It's what they think. It's how they feel and how they make us feel and what they think about us. And there could be an attraction, an affinity, which is drawing us to them, to become closer to them, to be their friend, or to be more. Or there's a repulsion there. You say, I don't want to have anything to do with this person. Well, that's a metaphysical phenomenon. That's not a physical phenomenon. Attraction and repulsion, radiation and gravitation, none of these things, even in terms of physics, exist in the physical world. They, have, they affect bodies in physical space. But when you really go and take a deep dive on all of that, you realize that physical reality itself doesn't really exist. So to say that all these this phenomena are non-physical is not really saying much because we're all ex existing in this complex illusion. And so the attraction and repulsion obviously are metaphysical because all science is metaphysical. There really is no physical science. That's the, the joke. Everything is inspired. Everything is in spirit. Literally, literally. Expiration, then, refers to that which is transient and impermanent. That which dies. That which is not grounded in spirit. It might be a projection of spirit, but it is not grounded in spirit. Its foundation is impermanent, like the three-dimensional reality that materialist scientists and all of us, to one degree or another, take so seriously and place as foundational to our very existence. When you look in the mirror, can you honestly say to yourself, 
when you look in the mirror that you do not identify with the person looking back at you? Can you honestly say that that you are in your body and you feel yourself in your body? That your body is a three-dimensional suit which your soul has put on. Can you feel yourself in your body or do you take it for granted and just feel yourself as your body? One of these two modalities is in spirit, is inspired. The other is waiting to expire. There is a way of being inspired and a way of being expired or in the process of expiring. And we bring it back to the topic which <laughs> inspired this talk and inspired this look at these words, inspiration and expiration. and their interrelationship, how they relate to one another. We come back to this topic of art and artists, creativity. But it applies to anyone. It applies to myself here on this YouTube channel. And it applies to anyone and everyone, all of us. Are we living our lives in an inspired way or are we living our lives just counting down towards our inevitable expiration and what you will find is what leads us down that road to just the inevitable expiration is subconsciously, or perhaps consciously, at every moment along the way, that's what we're concerned about. We're concerned about our expiration. We're afraid of death. We fear death. Now you might say to us, that's ridiculous. I don't go through my life afraid of dying. And all those artists out there might respond the same way. I'm not afraid of dying. What are you talking about? I'd say, okay. Are you doing the art that you were born to do? Were you born to spend 8, 12, 14 hours a day doing illustrations or design or whatever for advertisements, for corporations, for websites, etc. And their obvious answer is that no, but I have to pay the bills, I have to pay rent. Because paying rent and buying groceries and all of these other concerns of the physical world are all related to what? 
What happens if you don't pay your rent? What happens if you don't have money for food? What is in jeopardy? Well, it's your comfort and security. And comfort and security is an amalgam, just simply an extension of a fear of death. Or some might say, well, I have to preserve my reputation. I have to, as a creator, as an artist, I have to be seen. People have to know who I am. I have to get my brand out there. I have to get my name out there. Because if I ever fall out of the public sphere, if I ever fall out of the public eye, I will become irrelevant. And anything I do will fall on deaf ears and then nobody will ever see anything I do. And I'll just vanish into obscurity. So that desire to be seen, that desire to be known, that desire to be appreciated, the concern with one's reputation, with having a following, etc. This is propping up that which we do not want to vanish into oblivion, that which we are afraid will expire, which is our projection of self. To hear again, but eventually, right, that your name, your brand, no matter how powerful and robust and universally well known, universally known, it too will eventually vanish into dust. We may throw around names like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, but let me ask you, who are the great philosophers and the artists and the kings from Atlantis? Can you name any? You can't because they're, they're not even in our history. They're not even in any history of Atlantis or, Lemur or Lemuria. They're certainly not well known among the population. So regardless, those names have vanished into oblivion. There is no immortality in the simulation. There's nothing that lasts forever in a matrix which by definition is meant to expire it is itself an act of expiration and concerning ourselves and making that our dominant concern here and now is antithetical to inspiration. Because if we ground ourselves in the illusion, if we ground ourselves in that that has the limited shelf life, and if we attempt to artificially extend that shelf life in some way, out of fear of expiration, And we, we 
lose ourselves in the obsession known as control. Control of people, control of circumstances, control of finances, control of outcomes. Why do we need all that control? Because we're desperately trying not to expire. We're trying to extend our shelf life in some way. So if you think of yourself like a dairy product for a moment, you are a carton of milk in the refrigerator. And you know that you will expire. But every time someone opens the fridge door, you yell and scream at them, close the door, close the door. You're letting out all the cold. And you try to nudge your way past the eggs and past the yogurt and, you know, past the soda pop, closer to where the cold air is blown, blowing in from the refrigerator. And maybe you're trying to get yourself closer to the bottom where you know it's colder, where you can extend your shelf life so you won't expire so quickly. You might think that's a ridiculous example. And yet, look what the global elite are doing. Look how those who surround themselves in opulence, in people, in money, in organization, in things, in structures, in institutions that are designed to control people and circumstances and outcomes. Look at them buying islands and building bunkers. And look at the other ones that are building rocket ships to space. Why? Because, and the other ones who are working on technology to be able to so-called download their consciousness into computers and into, into robots so they can es essentially live forever or live longer or survive what's coming. It is all a desperate act, an attempt to delay the inevitable. The inevitable is expiration. It's inevitable. And being obsessed with that to any degree, to be afraid of that, invites in the ego, which is the most powerful adversary that we have on the path of inspiration. And that is the ego of fear. Because the most primal instinct that we have as animals is as the biologists say, to survive. And the way that our intellect and our society is able to twist and harness and morph that instinct into phenomenon as preserving your brand, 
preserving your reputation or constructing your legacy, establishing your legacy, right? Carving out your legacy, like even the, the language around that, right? To carve out your niche so that your, your name will go on. People will remember who you were and what you did. To carve out a legacy while you are here. To carve it out of stone or carve it out of marble. or So your legacy, so you'll become immortalized. Like the presidents on Mount Rushmore or like the Lincoln Memorial or what have you. This is very much an expiratorial, that's even a word, that's expiration. It's an outward projection. It has nothing to do with spirit. Because this person you are, this personality, this body, this 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 face, this name, it's just temporary. But your true self, the spirit, the light inside of you, well, that's not temporary. It can't be temporary because it's not temporal. Temporal meaning time. Time is an illusion of ego. Your spirit is not temporal. Your spirit does not concern itself with temporal matters. Certainly not related to itself. Spirit doesn't concern itself with legacy, with reputation. And apart from the bare bones basics, spirit doesn't concern itself with the expiration of its mortal vessel. Not in the way that our egos do. And so we have this phenomenon where the world is living moment by moment, obsessing over its expiration. marching toward the its inevitable expiration humanity's inevitable expiration but all individuals inevitable expiration and they're living their life under the delusion that a they can extend that expiration or somehow avoid it through comfort and security through indulgence through all manner of externalized markers. 
more stuff, more experiences, more toys, more acquaintances, more likes on Facebook, more followers on YouTube. It really, you know, it really doesn't matter. We can all find outward reasons and excuses and metrics with which we can measure our so-called success in life. But where does that leave that element inside of us, which is eternal, which is not temporal, and is not without purpose, is not without meaning, is not here by accident, and is not here inside us by accident. Where does that leave spirit? Where does that leave being inspired? We missed a comment here. Benjamin says, hi, Atlas. Hello, Benjamin. Nice to have you here. Speaking of which, we forgot to share with you guys the link uh, to pop on the live stream. There it is on stream. There it is on screen as well. There is a, another relationship between inspiration and expiration. First, we know that many people at many moments of history have thrown themselves in harm's way for the sake of others. Many people have had the courage to face even death for the sake of that which they're with that which they were inspired to do for the sake of being who they were inspired to be for the for the sake of being in spirit there are countless martyrs there are countless freedom fighters there are countless firefighters rescue workers knights soldiers doctors uh, the list is on and on. In fact, we can extend this list to include animals. There have been countless dogs who have jumped into burning buildings and freezing rivers in order to save not just their owner, 
or their owner's daughter or son, but complete strangers. Animals have this capacity to sacrifice themselves, to throw themselves in harm's way for the sake of others. What, if, what is that if not an act of inspiration? Now, biologists and anthropologists and zoologists will come up with clever excuses, saying, oh, well, that dog just believes that their owner or that other human being, it just he just identifies as being part of the pack, and so he's protecting the pack, and it's a primal animal instinct for the dog to leap into the, the freezing river. Yeah, no, no animal has a primal instinct to leap into the fire into a burning building. There is no animal that goes towards a burning building in any way, shape, or form as an, in, as an instinct. But regardless, let, you know, we're, not here to, we're not here to pretend as though we're arguing with the atheists and the, uh, the secularists and the materialists. The reality is every being has a spark, an essence of the great spirit as the Native North Americans would say, the great spirit. And that's why the Native North Americans have a reverence for all living things, is because, and they refer to animals as their brothers and sisters, because on one level, on one level that's, that can be problematic, but on another level they know intuitively and through their own experience, <clears throat> they, know that it, they know that it's true. That we are all brothers and sisters within the womb of the Great Spirit. And so we all have the capacity to be inspired. And very often, again, you would think that the North American... First Nations peoples, with their reverence for nature, they see animals as their own brothers and sisters. You would think that they, above all people, would choose to be vegetarian, would choose to be vegans. But they're not, for the most part. Certainly, the Inuit are not. How could they be? Show me the vegetation growing above the permafrost line that the Inuit could live on 365 days of the year. And they have no choice but to hunt, and they're prolific hunters. But like all Native North Americans, they give thanks and they honor the sacrifice of whatever animal they have fallen because they know the spirit of that animal lives on, is one with the great spirit, is one with them. And when we comprehend what the nature of an animal is metaphysically, and when we comprehend that every single atom in the universe has within it a spark, an essence, a seed, of that spirit, 
then, as Gnostics certainly, we know that when we eat anything, anything, including plants, and the minerals inside of those plants, the salt that we salt on, on our food, we know that we are ingesting monads of the mineral, the plant, and animal kingdom. And those atoms and their energy is becoming part of our bodies. The death of that animal or the death of that plant or the death of that mineral and indeed, those minerals that's all a form of expiration. And yet, as we consume that energy, and their bodies become our bodies, their energy becomes our energy. If we are living from a place of inspiration, then that matter, that energy that they sacrificed for our sake, we can sacrifice for the sake of others. As we sacrifice ourselves, as we expire, we give of ourselves to expire. To be inspired means to be rooted and grounded in that eternal light within, that individual, individuated essence of the Great Spirit. But to expire means to give from that place to give up to let go and in no uncertain terms to expire to sacrifice to die a little bit each and every day for the sake of others to give our gifts and how do we give those gifts? We give those gifts through our, our efforts, our time, our energy, our physical, mental, emotional energy and effort and actions that are transient, that are here one moment and gone the next. In this virtual 3D world out there, this is the space, this 3D space, the world in which spirit can have an effect in the world of action, in the world of expiration. We talked about the relationship between inspiration, expiration, and respiration. Well, what's respiration? To, res to respire, to breathe, 
in-breath, inhalation, and the out-breath, exhalation. That's respiration. Again, that's expansion and gravitation. Or sorry, radiation and gravitation, expansion and synthesis, explosion and implosion. That's respiration, the great bellows, the great breath of the universe, the great Mahamantara and Mahabharata, the great in-breath and out-breath of the universe. It, that that relationship, that that coming together and separation and coming together and separation and coming together and separation. The inspiration and expiration. But the coming together part happens as in as ex expressed in the Tao in the yin and the yang the coming together happens in this dynamism between these two phenomena to return to one's center one's origin to one's spirit is to give up and let go all that is transient, all that is impermanent. Why hold on to it? Why be obsessed with it? Why hoard it? Even many millionaires and billionaires who spent their entire lives hoarding and collecting uh, wealth, building great empires, many of them as they as they get older and they start to face their own mortality, many of them, not all, but many of them certainly, maybe not so much these days, but once upon a time, many of them turn to philanthropy and start giving away all of their wealth. Now, you could argue, if you were cynical, you could make all sorts of arguments as to, well, they're just trying to cement their legacy and they just want their name on a whole bunch of hospitals and uh, schools and old age homes. And yes, okay, you could make that argument. And whether or not that was their reason for doing so, it it turns out that, you know, we ended up with many... Uh, um, many such buildings that bear the names of these great industrialists. But we feel that as one begins to face one's mortality in a serious way, when one begins to awaken to the absolute truth of the inevitability of one's 
ultimate expiration and how that date is fast approaching and nothing can stop it. It's unfathomable for us to contemplate someone not spending time in profound introspection on themselves, on their lives, and on the contributions that they have made to society, on the contributions they've made to the world. And it's also difficult for us to fathom that such individuals do not or are not privy to some sort of insight as to this dynamic that we are referring to here. And if they didn't spend their life expiring a little bit each day for the sake of others, then they realize they don't have much time left and they start giving away the only thing that they, re that, that they have to give away, which is their wealth, their empire. that which they identified with for so many years, that which they kept building and growing because that is what, again, they were identified with. That's what they were attached to. And so they start giving it away because they can't take it with them. And also because on some level, everybody has to be able to feel this or sense this at, at some level, even if it's a very insular, selfish, worldly level. For example, even these wealthy families who never give anything away, what they do is they hoard it all and then they leave it to the next generation. And then you have these family empires that have been passed down for generation after generation after generation, all the wealth and all the land and, and so on and so forth. So they have this, and within these organizations, because it's hard to really call them anything else, they, they have some sense of, of giving of letting go, of giving, but it's, 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 it's not for the same reasons and it's not in the same way because ultimately, because they're so identified and so attached to that whole family as being an extension of their own ego, their name, for example, and having the right name and having the right blood and bloodlines flowing through your veins, that they are really just giving to themselves. They're not really giving anything. They're not sacrificing anything. 
So that's a different that's a different case. Those uh, those wealthy <laughs> uh, multi generational empires they tend not to give much to anyone, certainly outside of their own circles, unless they have again they have the, unless they have their own interests. And that's why those uh, groups and corporations, corporate entities, they are incapable of creating anything that's inspired. That's why Walt, the Walt Disney Company right now is in dire straits. It's been selling off assets from Walt Disney World. Recently in an auction, they were selling off uh, mothballed everything from bumper cars to uh, stagecoaches to all sorts of uh, items that were in their uh, uh, what you might call warehouses or, or barns in Walt Disney World and, and, and uh, Disneyland. They were, they were auctioning them off, selling them off because they're so desperate for cash. They're billions and billions of dollars in debt. Because for <clears throat> years and years now, that corporation has been just uh, producing absolute travesties in terms of its content. It's been completely empty, soulless, lifeless. And a lot of it's been woke propaganda, which is inherently devoid of life. Marxist, Leninist, uh, socialist ideology is inherently devoid of spirit. It is this mechanical, materialist, atheist, uh, hive mind mentality that would like to see humanity become more like an ant hive. Certainly the people in power would love to have all their obedient little worker ants running around doing all that busy work while they build their empire of wealth and comfort and security and control as they attempt to figure out a way of defeating death and continuing this this illusion as though it were re, uh, as though it were real because for them it's their only reality because they've doubled down so much in their obsession with avoiding expiration and extending their expiration date, that they've completely cut themselves off of spirit. They're incap incapable of inspiration now. And we can see a good example in China of a regime and its relationship to the people 
and what the people have been reduced to. Azazel has put three little animals in the chat and are those three little sheep or llamas or <laughs> we can't tell exactly what they are but uh, or are they ants maybe they are ants i can't tell i'm too far away from my screen that's the that's the uh the honest truth I, my uh He's as as it says ants probably yeah okay <laughs> I can't tell they're they're like they have little ears and stuff so okay um, expiration is inevitable and. looking for each and every day an opportunity to give of ourselves when presented with that opportunity to serve others in whatever small way we're not talking about uh getting on your bicycle and riding around your town or your city looking for a burning building to go rush into right we don't have to be hyperbolic and melodramatic about this process when we talk about psychological death yes we talk about death of the ego and how important that is the comprehension and annihilation of this of the cause of our suffering that is the source of our desires our cravings and aversions yes all of that but where this comes into another practical aspect and this is why we made that video on um, selfish spirituality is inspiration always has an aspect of expiration to it to be inspired means to do something in the world to give something to the world and to give something to the world you cannot do that i cannot do that without spending time and spending energy and from our point of view, from the point of view of the vessel, the mortal servant, from our point of view, time is real and time is precious. People walk around saying time is money. And our energy is precious. We only have so much energy in the tank. We only have so much gas in the tank. Observe if you do have done anything ever, whether it's creative work, whether it's volunteer work, whether it's just helping your neighbor move or helping your neighbor with anything, helping your friend with anything. 
you, we only have so much gas in the tank. And every time we spend that energy, we are, whether we realize it or not, we are moving towards our expiration. Because when we're, when our, well, we'll get a little metaphysical, a little esoteric here for a moment. We are all born with a certain number of what are called Bobinkaldenots or units of energy. These are, this is energy that is not related to the energy that we get from food or sunlight or in any other way. The Boban Kalbanots relates to a foundational energy. And when we've run out of that, that's it. We're done. We've expired. And that energy is very precious, but every, but we have to use that energy all the time to do anything. We can't hoard it. We can't reserve it because we can't live without it. So whenever we exert ourselves for the sake of others, we are, in fact, dying a little bit in that process, in that moment. We're literally sacrificing our lives in a little bite-sized portion. We're giving of ourselves, we're giving of our time, we're giving of our energy, etc. We don't have to be fanatical about it, and we don't have to be obsessive about it, and we also don't have to be melodramatic or uh, self-aggrandizing in the process, which means we can be smart about it. We don't have to overexert ourselves unnecessarily or with a big flourish or flamboyantly so that everybody knows how much of a sacrifice we are making or how big of a sacrifice we are making for others. We shouldn't be stupid. We shouldn't be wasteful. We should help people and give of ourselves as necessary. But if we overexert ourselves and put a whole bunch of energy or waste a whole bunch of energy where only a little bit of energy was required, then we're, we're, we're just being stupid. We're not, we're not being efficient or effective with our energy. And in many ways, we can say we're casting pearls before swine. Because if a, if a little energy was all that was required, and we went and we just blew all our energy on this little task, because we thought, well, we're helping others, so we better put 150%. And we ended up putting 300%. The same is true, though, for those things that we do in our life and the choices that we make and the actions that we take and the energy that we spend in avoiding expiration on the other side and our comfort and security on paying our rent, on buying our food, i.e. on our careers, and so on and so forth. Where is the balance? 
where is the balance between inspiration and expiration? And what you will find is that for a vast majority of people, the balance is very skewed to one side. For the vast majority of people, their obsession with expiration, their own expiration, and avoiding it, and extending it, is precisely what blocks them from inspiration. Because if you are exerting all of your energy, and all of your time, and all of your effort, to not expiring, you don't have much energy left to give to anybody. And what's more, how can you simultaneously die a little bit each day and be okay with that, do that consciously and aware of that and embrace that? How can you embrace that every day if every day the most of your time and energy and effort is being put into activities designed to preserve yourself and your life and extend your expiration to not die, to not suffer? Do you, do you see that, that we, we're looking at an actual quantifiable, metaphysical, scientific, mathematical conundrum here? That it's very easy for us in a kind of conceptual way to say, oh yeah, but you have to live, you have to survive, you have to eat, you have to pay rent, you have to do those things. But in the same way that when you help someone, you don't have to overexert yourself and, and, and blow all of your energy helping that person, that's a waste. Likewise, to live, to buy groceries and pay rent, do you have to overexert yourself? Do you have to spend all your time and all your energy on that? Because what will you have left? And again, more importantly, what is it that you are feeding which you may not be aware of? The desire for comfort and security is the fear of expiration. It is the fear of death. And no one can give of themselves. if they are afraid of losing a part of themselves in the process, right? It's like the difference between the billionaire who recants at the end of his life and gives away all his money versus the billionaire with the family and the name and the legacy who hoards everything and makes sure that he's only gonna give it to people of pure blood the people of his own of his own ilk of his own kind because
the the balance needs to be there and we need to know why we're doing the things we're doing and if life doesn't seem to want to cooperate for example on that financial side on the side of making rent and buying groceries then perhaps life is trying to give us a message perhaps life itself is trying to tell us something because again nine times out of ten for those for those one percent or those very 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 few individuals that are blessed with the opportunity to do what they came here to do do what they were born to do live their life live their passion live their bliss live an inspired life and get paid for it and actually make a living doing what they are inspired to do well more power to you bless you we're happy for you but that's not the vast majority of people yes there may be people who who were born to be a nurse they always wanted to be a nurse there's nothing they would rather do in the world than be a nurse. And they work as a nurse and they get paid and so on. And they're living their life and they're living an inspired life. So maybe it's more common than we give it credit for. But we can say with some authority on the matter that in the case of artists, uh, a vast majority of those are not doing what's in their heart, what they're inspired to do, because they can't sell it. That's not what the big machine wants. That's not what the commercial content producing factories demand, because it's not what most people want. Because most people don't even know what they want until they see it and so that's why it's so derivative and uh, repetitive and everything Hollywood so for example the, the the big commercial creative space the content space is constantly making remakes and reboots and just repeating the same things that have been done over and over and over again because because it's safe Because remember, all of that is being motivated by what? By the fear of expiring, the fear of death. All the accumulation of wealth and all the control and all the power and all the everything. So it's all just this obsession over expiration and avoiding expiration. That's what's behind it all. And again, in that space, if on that balance scale, 
there's very little room for anything that's inspired. There's very little room for inspiration in there. This is what we need to meditate on and look at in our own lives. But to live an inspired life means to give. And give without expectation of reward, without expectation of return. And to give freely. You would also say that while we cannot promise that walking a path of inspiration and following that light inside and that guidance inside and living our life predominantly from that place, we cannot say that it will come without hardship without inconvenience, without discomfort. We won't say that. We won't even say that living that life will uh, protect you from, from death. We can't say that. We won't say that. But what would you rather face? Moments before your death. Do you want the last moments on this earth, in this body, <clears throat> to be yeah, well, I lived a long, ripe old age. I lived a long life to a ripe old age. And I took care of myself. I took care of my family. I had a good time with my friends. I had lots of experiences. Yep, I, I lived a good, good, brown, solid, safe, comfortable life. But I never did that thing that I knew in my heart I was here to do. Or in your final moments, do you want to look back on your life saying, oh, I suffered a lot. <laughs> I didn't have much comfort. I didn't have much security, didn't have much money, but at least I did what I came here to do. I lived from that place of spirit and I faced those challenges and one way or another, we overcame the obstacles and we did what we came here to do. 
There's a quotation by the master of Samael who said, we can learn very little from the phenomenon of birth, but from death we can learn everything. You see, expiration is death. Death is our ultimate expiration. We talk about death of the ego. We talk about death of the physical body. We can also talk about the death of our dreams, the death of our passion, the death of our ideals and our integrity. Death, our physical death, is at that moment where so many people have epiphanies about their life. And unfortunately, many of them have epiphanies where they wake up and they go, oh my God, I wasted my life. I wasted my life. Expiration, one way or another, expiration shows us the way. We can't avoid it. We shouldn't try to extend it. We shouldn't try to push it away, push it aside. No, we need to embrace it. Little by little, each and every day. How am I expiring a little bit today? Because in the exploration of that question, in the meditation upon that question, we invariably reveal to ourselves, am I living in spirit or not? Because if I wasn't expiring a little bit today, if I was struggling and fighting and arguing and, and conspiring and, and to, to, to hoard or shore up or to defend or to protect, What was I giving? What was I giving? What was I doing toward a project of giving? Because maybe not every day do we have an opportunity to give directly one-on-one -on -one of ourselves to somebody. Maybe if we're on social media or some other way, maybe we do have some small way in which we can make a contribution to somebody somewhere. But perhaps we're working on some kind of a project. Perhaps we're working on whatever that project is. Am I working today towards that? Or perhaps if we're not ready to undertake that project yet, perhaps because we're carrying too much baggage, perhaps because there's too much there's too much I in that project. There's too much of me in the way of that project, in the way of that light, in the way of that inspiration. So what was I 
doing? How was I dying psychologically today? How was I meditating on myself? How was I letting go of this particular habit or this particular way of thinking? Or how was I observing these negative pathways? And how was I, uh, quote, doing my so-called shadow work today? Or practicing the alm of life, observing myself, meditating on my egos, etc., etc., etc. How was I accelerating the process of expiration? Because no matter what, no matter what, if we focus on expiration, we are moving into that space of inspiration. Because inspiration and expiration are two sides of the same coin. And that is why very often you will see this meme on Facebook and in other places talking about uh, the only thing that I can do for you is to improve myself. Or the best thing that I could do for you is to improve myself. And the best thing that you could do for others is to improve yourself, to be the best person that you can be. And you will see that uh, sentiment expressed in many different ways, many different forms. But the root of that sentiment comes from the relationship between inspiration and expiration. Because to be the best version of yourself means to die as the inferior version of yourself. The inferior version of yourself must die, must be abandoned, must be cut loose. And that can be a painful, humiliating process. Because it's an admission of the, the hot shot I thought I was, was nothing, was no one, was just kidding himself, was just full of himself. And you got to cut that former self loose. And each and every day, you have to face that. You have to face yourself and look at yourself. That's that process of psychological death. Little by little, comprehending your, your different egos and how they, they make you think you're so great. Meanwhile, they're causing so much suffering for you and for others. So this process of self-improvement is a process of psychological death, expiration. Because the best person that you can be is the one who is inspired, is the one who is living in spirit and living through spirit and expressing that spirit through what? through your expiration, through your efforts, your energy, your sacrifice, your suffering, 
your service. You see, a servant is humble. A servant serves their Lord. The customer is always right. A servant humbles himself, bows down before others. Because there's something inspired, because they're inspired to do so. Master Samael also has this wonderful quotation that says, Before every exaltation comes a great humiliation. In simplest terms, before an artist can complete their masterwork, they have to go through hell. Think of all the great achievements in art, in music, in painting. Think of all those films. There are countless YouTube videos called uh, Production Hell. And just look up your favorite movies and like Apocalypse Now or, or, or Jaws or any number of other movies. And you can watch hour-long, fan-made, hour-long documentaries describing how the production of this movie or that movie was, quote, Production Hell. We go and see the finished product and we are amazed and we are astounded by these incredible works of cinematography and storytelling. And we have very little appreciation or understanding for the, for the absolute sheer hell that the, the creators went through to, 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 make, to, to bring that, that film to life on screen. And it's the same for so many artists throughout history and musicians. Beethoven, who composed his Ninth Symphony and, and couldn't even hear it played for the first time for a real audience. He, couldn't, he didn't hear the audience applauding, erupting with, with applause. He had to be turned around and shown his triumph, the triumph of his life's work, the Ninth Symphony. Imagine the humility, the humiliation that a musician faces when they're going deaf. This is, but that humiliation, that is part of the death of the I because the being, the spirit, is incapable of humiliation, is incapable of being humiliated, or, or rather has no fear of humiliation. 
It welcomes humiliation because humiliation is another is another kind of expiration. Humiliation is how pride expires when we no longer care what other people think of us. We no longer we no longer see ourselves as important or as above anybody or as needing to be on the same level as anybody. It's no, no, no. It's like we're here to serve. I'll bow down. I'll get down on my knees and I'll lift you up. Like like a father playing with his children who gets down on his hands and knees and starts crawling around with them or, or, or starts playing in the mud with them or picks up his daughter and puts his daughter on his, on his shoulders so she can play horsey. And, he, and he'll run around with his, with his carrying his child on his shoulder. This is... A parent will make a complete ass out of themselves just to hear their, the, the laughter of their children and the joy and see the joy in their eyes and just to be able to play with them. He doesn't care about his reputation. He doesn't care about his clothes. He doesn't care about the mud. He doesn't care about... He'll let, he'll let his little girls put makeup on him and put a wig on him and dress him up. He doesn't... There's no pride getting away in the way of any of this. There's no worry about any of that. This is, and that's a beautiful expression of being in spirit, in play. We're not worried about how people receive us, how they're going to judge us. Because spirit doesn't worry about that. The light doesn't The light doesn't change. The light shines. Whether or not it's received, whether or not it's absorbed, that's up to, that's up to them. That's their free will. But the light can't change. out of fear of not being received. The spirit is incapable of fear. And if we try too hard to be liked, if we try too hard to be accepted, there will be too much worry, too much fear, too much anxiety filtering the light. And what people will receive from us will not be the pure spirit, will not be in spirit. It'll be something. It'll be this obsession with control. The control of circumstances, the control of outcomes, the control of people. And that is an obsession of avoiding expiration. See, the light 
shines and if everybody hates what you do, that's okay. Your spirit will say, that's fine. They're not ready for it yet. They can't, they don't know how to appreciate it yet. They're too blind to appreciate it. That's fine. Right? I have compassion for them. I feel sorry for them. And we have to be cognizant about casting pearls before swine. Yes, that's true. But we don't turn our pearls into, into pebbles. We don't say, well, or we, or we don't turn our, uh, our pearls into peanuts. We say to ourselves, well, they're the swine. I'm not going to cast pearls before them. So here, let me cast peanuts before them instead. It's not the, that's not the way to live an inspired life. And the whole time, let's, let's remember that it, between inspiration and expiration, there's respiration. There's the expansion and contraction. There's the good days and the bad days. There's the highs and there's the lows. High tide, low tide. We all experience this. There's the law of the pendulum. We're all on that. And some days we are more on the expiration side and some days we're more in the inspiration side and, and, and everywhere in between. But the respiration aspect means we keep going. We keep going. And we recognize that none of this, none of this would be of any merit, be of any purpose, would have any meaning whatsoever if there were no obstacles, if there were no resistance in the way. So by that we mean many of us will tend to be our own worst critics and many of us will tend to be very hard on ourselves. And if we face some resistance, internal resistance, some fear, for example, we may, uh, we may find ourselves tempted to throw in the towel and say, oh, I'm too afraid. I'm, too, I, I'm so unworthy of this project. I'm so unworthy of this thing because look how uh, terrified I am. This is a trick of ego. And it is the worst temptation to give into. It's very tempting because in the moment, it's very seductive thought. Oh, I'm not worthy of this, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not this, right? It's very downward spiral, self-defeating, self-referential. And it's like, by being so hard on yourself in that moment, it's, it's, it's like taking self-discipline and willpower and twisting it into ill will and using it against you. And the ego is very clever that way. But here's a story, let me tell you. Well, it's not so much a story. Uh, a fact. Did you know that 
all actors, comedians, and whatnot, they all suffer from stage fright. All of them. Before you walk out on stage, if you are observing yourself, physically, emotionally, mentally, you, you, you're absolutely terrified. Some actors, famous actors, suffered from debilitating stage fright. Some of them were known to vomit in their uh, dressing room mere moments before the curtain call. I suffered from terrible stage fright to the point where, I mean, I was shaking, right? Physical convulsions. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is acting in the face of fear. It's, it's in spite of fear, not because you have no fear. It's in spite of fear. And remarkably, once you step out into the spotlight and out of the shadows now into the spotlight, then your fear vanishes. It's, it's gone because you've transmuted it. You take all of that nervous energy as an actor and you transmute it. And you give it to the audience. It's like the acting now, your performance is a, an, an outlet like therapy because now you're opening your soul in the most profound way. You've, you've made yourself completely vulnerable. There's no way to hide anymore. So what were we really afraid of? This is why people talk about stage fright they don't really know why are we why are we so afraid we're not we're not afraid of going out in public we're not afraid of being surrounded by thousands of so what are we so afraid of there's nobody looking at us right now in this moment what are we so what are we so terrified of of doing exactly what an actor has to do or comedian or any performer of that nature in order to make a real connection with the audience. They have to bear their soul. That is absolutely terrifying. They, we have to, every time we go out on stage, we expire. We explode. We take the, our source of inspiration and we shine. We fill the auditorium and we give of ourselves. We give, we bear our soul for the sake of the audience. That's that kind of exposure, that kind of, of, of vulnerability. 
that is absolutely terrifying to the ego, to fear, which is the fear of expiration. When you step out on stage and it's to say is 5,000 people in the audience, it's like having 5,000 crosshairs pointed at you, like 5,000 laser sights pointed at you. You have 5,000 snipers sitting out there. And you, if you're, if you're the only person sit, standing on stage at that moment, you are their target. So the animal in us, you know that animals, when they become aware that they're being watched, you ever notice how they react? They immediately, they freeze, right? And they, they immediately, they're, they're, they're getting into fight or flight mode, right? But they're, but they're frozen still because they're not quite sure what to do yet. They're, they're frozen in terror because they know they're being watched. Just multiply that hundreds of times or thousands of times and then you get to understand why many actors vomit in their, in their dressing room before they go out on stage. So to be, because of this relationship between being inspired and expiration, the fear of expiration is what stands between us and being inspired, living our inspired life. And so the courage to face our own expiration and not be afraid of expiration, not be afraid of giving of ourselves, not be afraid of making ourselves vulnerable and opening our soul, our heart and soul and showing our light, our spirit, our true self to the world. All of this comes into play. All of this is this this dynamo, this dynamism between these two words. Inspired and expired. It's the in-breath and the out-breath and the relationship between the two. The perennial rhythm of existence, the perennial rhythm of being. Because to be here now and to have an impact and make an impact upon others as others. Requires us to be in that place of inspiration and embracing our active, conscious, moment-by-moment expiration. For the sake of that spirit, and for, sake, and for the sake of the spirit of others. To serve. And the greatest service that we can perform, the greatest performance we can have, the greatest art we can create, the greatest life we can live, is our greatest exaltation. And that comes only after a great humiliation. In other words, the expiration of the I, the 
the expiration of pride, the expiration of selfishness, of narcissism, of self-aggrandizement. To serve, to be the greatest servant who ever lived is to be the one who is most lowly and humble. This is our message to you. This is the message of, of Atlas. Atlas who upholds the pillars of heaven and earth, yes, esoterically, but in common vernacular, Atlas carries the world on his shoulders. Atlas is the symbol of humility. Atlas is the one who bends the knee and puts everyone and everything over and above himself. That's that symbol. He's the one who, who sacrifices all for the sake of these two pillars of inspiration and expiration. Because ultimately, there is another way that we can understand these two words. Severity and mercy. Masculine and feminine. Positive and negative. But severity and mercy. Those are the two pillars of love. And to recognize and live your life in that way, to be a servant of love, what else is there? What else could there possibly be? And what better life could anyone possibly live that is more fulfilling than living a life of service and sacrifice in the name of love? I mean, what comes to mind is the, the U2 song about Martin Luther King. It's, the, it's in the very title. It won't be easy, it won't be comfortable, it won't be convenient. And you may not be showered with accolades and, and financial windfalls. You might not get any of it. But what you stand to gain is eternal and what you stand to lose was never going to last, was never going to be yours, was never going to endure anyway. So why bother accumulating and attaching yourself to it in the first place? What sense does that make? We are all going to die. William Wallace said, all men die. Not every man really lives. This is what this comes down to. Do we want to really live? Or do we want to live a little bit longer? 
Do we want to really live or do we want to live comfortable and secure? Do we really want to live? Or do we want to live and tell great stories about the experiences that we had and the 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 cars that we've owned and the houses that we buy and all that, you know, all that all that stuff. Which is all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. And for this humanity, it's all going to be gone a lot sooner than people think. Much, much sooner than people think. So what is the point of waiting any longer? What is the point? What is the point of attaching ourselves to any of that? Or placing the umpteen importance on it that we do? Beyond the basics of what we need in order to be here, in order to, to, to be able to, to do our work. Because we can't let everything swing too far in the other direction either, because then, you know, there's a, there's a balance to be had. But always, always to recognize and know And live a life of inspiration, to live a life of love by knowing ourself. We have a few comments. Magabu says, Jesus called them together and said, quote, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as, the, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's the... I mean, what more needs to be said, honestly? The light, the spirit inside of us, that is its nature. That is its nature. So, if that is the nature of the spirit that is at the heart and soul of every atom in the universe and every being that has ever lived, including every being that lives today, including all of us, if our nature is not to be served but to serve, then what is the point of spending another year, another month, another day, another moment putting ourselves and our comfort and our security and our convenience and our control above all else? We have, we have shared this uh, before and we'll share it again because, I mean, it's just,
it was one of our favorite of the uh, modern Disney films, The Beauty and the Beast. And it's Lumiere, of course. And Lumiere is the candlestick, the candelabra. Then he has three flames, right? He has three flames, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. And above that is the quote from the Bible, from Luke, by your patience possess your souls, and the bottom is our addition to the, to the sentiments here. And of course, this dovetails beautifully with what Mugaboo shared with us. And the quote that we said about every exaltation is preceded by a great humiliation. Because a servant achieves their highest status, their greatest achievement, their greatest performance, when they have humbled themselves completely and given themselves wholly and completely to the task. It's true of actors, it's true of artists, it's true of athletes, it's true of musicians, it's true of architects, it's true of mothers raising children and families, it's true of fathers, it's true of everyone. is that we achieve our highest expression in life, our greatest examples of self-actualization, true success, where we can say we have truly lived. When we give ourselves wholly and completely to that life, that life of love, to the life of the truth and the light and the love, to those three flames burning inside of us, that trinity of spirit burning inside of us, severity and mercy and their balanced union and wisdom and knowledge. That is what means what it means to live inspired and expired. To leave this life without having left anything, without anything left on the table, without any gas left in the tank. Having given of ourselves fully to this life, committed fully to the light inside of us and have given ourselves fully to why we came in the first place. To be or not to be, that is the question. And that's a process of inspiration and expiration, 
avoiding expiration, you, you, love is those two pillars. You can't make the arch. You can't, you can't create the edifice of the temple with only one pillar. And as we explained, you can't truly be inspired if you're spending all your energy avoiding ex being expired. So, this is it. Life, death, and the union of life and death, sacrifice. Because sacrifice is the distance, the span between life and death. And by life we say birth. And across that span, between birth and death, is that slow crisscross pattern where we have our slow expiration and our inspiration. And that inverse relationship. So this was a just another way to express what we've often talked about in terms of psychological death, to die before you die so that when you die, you do not die, <laughs> right? And so that's a, that's a sort of clever way of talking about you attain that eternity, that exaltation after your life by... by by dying psychologically prior to your physical death. Yes, fair enough. But the way this came to us to share with you these words of inspiration and expiration puts all of this in a slightly different context. It puts it into the context of service, obviously, which we've discussed. And what Magabu here shared with this quote, where the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. But it puts that service into the context of sacrifice, self-sacrifice, and indeed death. And it, and it links the two between that and humiliation, the ability to be humble, to not be proud in one's service, or not be so proud that, or narcissistic to believe that you are here for others to serve you. So we hope this contributes uh, somewhat to the uh, to the overall mosaic, or or um, make some contribution to your own appreciation in your own life and or being able to to meditate upon and contemplate and evaluate your own life, your own self. Because we know many, many people out there suffer and struggle because they're not living a life of, of inspiration. And because life 
you know, family and friends and teachers, professors, co-workers, colleagues, uh, society in general, they all want what's best for us. And for many, that means having a nice house and two cars and a spouse and kids and a mortgage and two weeks of vacation every year. And, you know, it's, it goes on and on and on. And they all want what's best for us in their own mind. What society says is best. But there is nothing better than living a life of love. And there is nothing better than living an inspired life. And there's nothing better than using your life, this life, using it for something which is eternal. Using it for something which really matters. Because all the material things around us don't matter. They literally do not matter. Matter doesn't exist. None of this will exist. All of this is transient. All of this is an illusion. So why would we spend our life on it? Does anybody have any comments or questions? We think we've covered this thoroughly and now we're just going around in circles repeating ourselves. So would anybody like to um, ask a question or make a comment? Because we think we'll try to wrap it a little early today. We'll give you a chance to type some questions if you have them. Um, Benjamin says, Benjamin says, definitely helps these lectures of service. And our other Benjamin says, it is hard to become a being with two foci, like a Hasnamusan. So there's another way of expressing this. Benjamin says what a Hastamusan is, one that serves on the material and on the spiritual level. A Hastamusan is one who has a split center of gravity, a dual center of gravity. And the Hastamusan, which we've discussed in the past, is that uh, centaur, right? Or Sagittarius, the one with a split center of gravity that, um, as Benjamin says here, is trying to serve the spiritual and the material and satisfy his material or animal self. And it's the animal self that doesn't want to die. It's the animal self that has that primal survival instinct. And, and as, we, as we said, as we expressed, that at some point, we have to overcome that primal animal instinct in all of its forms and embrace 
the severity of ex, of, of of expiration in order to achieve the mercy of inspiration because we need both those pillars to create that that arch that portal that gateway to take us from where we are to where we want to be and to, and to to shuttle others out of the darkness into the light because the third pillar between the two pillars the third pillar is the pillar of light is the pillar of keter da'at uh, tiperef and malkuth that's that cent central pillar of light on the tree of life it is between both severity and mercy inspiration and expiration they they work in tandem they work together so we must bring them together they must be united our slow and steady conscious expiration in order to achieve a life of inspiration benjamin says love is always there we just are bombarded with matter and maliciousness but be a servant and remember the pillars of severity and mercy uh, correct the, the world will always be pulling us uh, into that material place and we're going to be bombarded by the viciousness the primal animal survival thing and and like right now there's people building bunkers you know they're 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 doomsday preppers they've already accumulated you know tens of thousands of cans of campbell soup and hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammunition in their underground lead-lined you know earthquake proof nuclear bomb proof shelters out in the desert and they believe that that's going to save them but they are completely and and they are all you know god-fearing god-loving born-again christians for the most part but unfortunately uh that is not the way they are not they're not shining in spirit with what they're doing they're um they're exuding a fear and a desire to control and they're 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 leading others down a, a, a unfortunately a, a path to oblivion even as they believe that the steps that they're taking and the measures that they are taking are going to save them that they're going to they're going to survive well the spirit doesn't concern itself with survival because the spirit is eternal the spirit doesn't concern itself with survival in the video game because he knows it's a, it's a virtual reality it knows it's an illusion there's nothing that can that can survive here on this level benjamin says that is why jesus said that one cannot serve two masters correct um, one cannot serve two masters at the same time or ride two horses at the same time. But with today's economy and social structure, 
People only tend to focus on the materialistic side and satisfy their ego, as evidenced by your example earlier, uh, flexing their goodies on social media. <laughs> um, how can we remain inspired given that today's world is too materialistic? This one is very difficult and challenging to answer. And each and every person has to answer it for themselves based on their own self-knowledge and their own knowledge of their divine mother. For my part, I've told the story many times. Uh, my life brought me to a place where I was completely and totally brought to my knees. And in every conceivable way, including health-wise, physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, well, I guess that's, a, that's redundant, but any, you get the idea. And I was literally, literally brought to my knees at the end of my rope. And my choices, the, the choice that the material world gave me included a partial frontal lobectomy and uh, giving me 50-50 odds of, uh, of helping my condition. So I told the story many times. I prayed. I begged. I pleaded for the answer to this question. The question that Benjamin... Put on screen. Only ours was expressed in a much more dire way, in a much more uh, hyperbolic way because of the situation that we were in. But in my case, it was how it was, it was not. It was the realization that given that this world is so materialistic, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to live in this world that's so materialistic. I don't know how to get by. I don't know what to do. I've exhausted all of my resources, all of my connections, all of my abilities, and the best that I can, the, the best that the materialist world can come up with for me from by my efforts is you know we'll cut out a quarter of your brain and you know hope for the best and it was when i completely and totally surrendered in that moment saying i am not qualified you guide me, you show me the way, and I will follow. If you get me out of the bind that I am in, if you show me the way out of this pit of despair, of this personal hell that I am in, you show me the way out, I will follow your guidance until the very end of my days because clearly I am not qualified to live this life. 
to live the life that I came here to live, to be what I was born to be. I, the mortal vessel, am not qualified to make the decisions. So the best that I can do is serve and follow orders. And I swear to do so. And I promise to do so to the best of my ability. One way, shape, or form, all of us face this question. How am I supposed to do what I came here to do? How am I supposed to be inspired when I have all this other, all this, this, this material world is so, is throwing up obstacles, is so not cooperating, is so this, is so that. I have these health problems. I have these financial problems. I have, I have these social problems. I have these work problems. If, if you can't, if you don't know how, I didn't know how. I dropped to my knees and I said, you show me how. But I can't do that for you. I can't show you how. I can only share with you what I did. how I was shown how and how I am shown how each and every moment of my life. And part of that includes sharing as much of it with you as we possibly can so that you can learn from our example and go within and, and, and speak directly to that source of inspiration within. And recognize that humiliation, falling to your knees, dropping to your knees, admitting to yourself, admitting to yourself, capital S, I'm not qualified. I know I can't be making these decisions anymore. I know I can't be deciding what direction to take and what to do and what not to do because, because I am not the source of inspiration. So how do you be how are you inspired? You promise the source of inspiration to act on it and if you do so, if you do so, you will not be forsaken, you will not be thrown to the wind, you will not be you may not live as comfortable a life as you were before, you may not be able to hold on to the same house that you're living in. You may not be able to hold on to the same number of cars that you have. You may have to make sacrifices. Something may change. But then again, things might change for the better. I don't know. I can't give you those answers. And only you can have that knowledge and that relationship and that conversation with yourself, with your own innermost, with your own divine mother. All I can tell you is I wasn't thrown to the wind. On the contrary, it was like I was pulled from the jaws of the wolves 
I was saved. I was I was pulled back from the brink of destruction, from the brink of oblivion, out of hell itself. Now, was I given a tremendous burden and mission and so on to fulfill? Yes, absolutely. But I had always felt that anyway. I'd always known that deep down anyway. It's just this was the moment that I realized that I wasn't the one who was qualified to do it. I was only here to serve that mission, to fulfill that role, not to define the role. And so this is the answer to this question. How can we remain inspired given the way the world is or given the way our life is, given the way the demands of the materialist world and so on and so forth, the, the practicalities of living life? There is nothing that your Divine Mother cannot orchestrate and, and do for you. And if you devote yourself to her, and your higher self, you devote yourself to love, love will provide. Love will provide the necessities of life. Well, love will provide you everything that you need to fulfill your end of the bargain. Right? If you promise to fulfill your end of the bargain, your end of the agreement, and you do fulfill your end of the agreement, no one is going to allow the rug to be pulled out from underneath you so that you that you fall and fail totally in your fulfillment. You will be able to fulfill your mission. One way or another, you will be given the tools, the resources, the people, anything and everything you need to be able to fulfill uh, the object of your inspiration. That much we can tell you. And you will never be given anything more than what you can chew. You will never be given something that's outside of your uh, ability or potential to, to, uh, to accomplish. But it's your own direct conscious experiential connection and conversation with your own higher self that is going to fill in the blanks of this hypothetical expression we can share with you what our experience was but your experience is going to be very different all we can tell you is that expiration leads to inspiration so if you humble yourself humiliation okay doesn't cost you any money it's not going to cost you your house or your cars or your reputation or anything just humble yourself before your own Divine Mother. Humble yourself before God in the privacy of your own room and begin there. Start your conversation there and see where it takes you. Benjamin follows up and says, One of the reasons I listen to your live stream is because it is keeping me inspired because you talk about spiritual development. Even my religion has failed me. They're all about the money now. And they're even exposed, and they're even exposed as they are, and yet uh, continue to flourish. So thank you for your work. Well, you're you're welcome, Benjamin. 
it's our it's our privilege and it's our it's our pleasure it's our passion honestly if you knew just how crappy and absolutely shitty we felt this morning when we got up just complete and total unmotivated just ugh it's like uh but doing this live stream and having you to share with having you to speak with having that's that inspiration to be able to pour forth through us and know that we're having some impact we're in whatever small way that may be in the lives of others that in and of itself makes it all worthwhile and makes makes our life worth living and that gives us meaning and purpose and and again this morning we were <laughs> we were humiliated all, all right we were we were you know and and now this live stream is is that redemption it's the redemption arc it's the exaltation that comes after the humiliation because this morning leading all the way up to our live stream it was like yeah we were expiring all right but now we've transmuted that and given all that back to you with the passion and the energy that comes with the severity and mercy of love. And so, you know, we love this work. We love what we do. We absolutely love what we do. And we're going to continue doing it. And God willing, our work will expand um, as we continue moving forward. But again, we're it's not up to me. I'm not qualified, so I have to wait patiently for, for the guidance and the timing and, and so on and so forth. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to continue as long as we can here on this platform. So thank you, Benjamin, always for your contributions. And our other Benjamin <laughs> uh, says, this was inspiring. I started reading the ebooks, Pymander. It talks a lot about service. Maybe, you know, maybe, well, not maybe. It wasn't by accident that, you know, many people growing up as a, um, teenagers and whatnot we a lot of us started working part-time in some job or another and um <clears throat> i think we've mentioned before we started working at kmart which is like a smaller version of walmart and um and we loved it we loved it we took to customer service like like a fish in water and a lot of it had to do with how we were raised also by our mother because being Hungarian, we had lots of, um, you know, dinner parties and stuff. And Hungarians, there's an aspect of the Hungarian culture, which is very similar to the Japanese culture, where service is, is, is baked into our culture. Where when someone comes over for dinner, for example, you constantly, constantly have to offer them food. 
and to offer them a second helping and a third helping and would you like more of this would you like more of that and would you would you and you're always it's it gets to be a little bit much to be honest with you because people can take it a little bit too far especially nowadays when you know we're all supposed to be watching our waistlines and 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 you know careful of diabetes and everything else so um, even the Hungarians have tried to dial it back a bit because food is is so much of a pariah these days in terms of nutrition and health. But in any case, that aspect of serving others and serving your guests and doing it and that the joy that comes with that. It's, it was my mother who who had this absolute, you could tell, like just, she just she would glow she would glow when she had this opportunity to serve her guests and you all know people like this we all, for example we all have like grandmothers or somebody's grandmother who's this way who's just like absolutely we'll get up at like four in the morning five in the morning and start baking because of the absolute joy that they get from you know baking cookies or pastries or 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 what have you for their grandchildren and they just and it's this 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 wonderful glow they had they just want to be able to contribute to be purposeful to be important to be meaningful because their life is not over <laughs> Andrea says Italians are the same. We want to smother people with food. And you know, one of our best friends is Italian, and uh, and it's like that when we go to his place. He's yeah, he's exactly the same. That's one. And it's funny. We've we've often said that um, Hungarians and Italians we're like the Corsican brothers. We're 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 twins separated at birth. Italian flag is green, white, red. Hungarians is red, white, green. You know, Italians put tomato on everything. We put paprika on everything. So it's it's we're 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 um, we're like two cultures separated at birth. We really are. But of course, many 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 cultures share this. We don't want to we don't want to uh, sound uh, exclusive or exclusionary. But certainly, uh, that particular aspect, smothering others with food, that's a good way to put it too. Um, but this is the this is that 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 magical spark that you see everybody has right and every culture has and it's always this the love that they express and how they express that love for others they we glow when we are given an opportunity to express our love for others in that unique that way that is unique to us unique to our culture unique to our person our personality our our unique to our talents so if we're a musician and we love music and we love to play music what are we doing we are expressing our love through music and when we're doing that we glow and when we glow like that, we cannot help but be like a beacon of light that, that draw people in. And people appreciate that. People receive that. And so how can you be inspired? 
in this materialist world? Know yourself. What do you love? What do you have inside of you that's screaming to get out, that's bursting to get out? And how, how do you express it? Through what talents, through what abilities, through what ways, through what business, through what actions, through what whatever? How, what do you have in your disposal that will allow you for that light and love inside of you to express through you in a way that you will love and in a way that you that will allow you to express that love and that light inside of you. And if you don't know what that is, keep going within, asking and begging to be shown the answer. And listen and listen for the answer. And do what you're told. Follow the signs. Take the advice. Take the guidance you receive. Even if it starts leading you down uncomfortable and inconvenient roads. And especially if you're confronted by fear. The fear of, oh my God. Uh, what popped in, you know, I, I asked for guidance and what popped in my head was, oh, you know that old dusty accordion you got when you were six years old? And all of a sudden the fear, oh, nobody likes the accordion, <laughs> right? No, no, go downstairs, dust off the old accordion, pick it up and start playing it. <laughs> Benjamin says, it is really serendipitous that the saying know yourself is highlighted in the movie The Matrix because it is what we need to do to escape this expiring simulation. Yeah. It's to, to, to know yourself. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Benjamin Ochoa. Benjamin says to Benjamin, this is from one Benjamin to the other Benjamin. Thank you, Benjamin, for the, uh, for the Rico, um, for the recommendation. I found the audiobook in YouTube. So that's referring to the uh, audiobook Benjamin, the other Benjamin, was saying uh, Pymander. All right. Does anyone have anything else to uh, to say or to add or to ask? Um, All right, we're going to take that as a no, that everyone's had their has said their piece. We want to thank you all for joining us this afternoon uh, or this evening, wherever you are. And again, for anyone who's watching this as a uh, recorded and not live, thank you as well for sticking out uh, to the end. We know that these uh, can be long, um, but we hope... Um, well, we know they're not the longest podcasts and not the longest uh, live streams on, on YouTube, but we hope you will find them uh, among the most valuable because, uh, and we hope you'll recognize why this is, this does not qualify as content, not, not the same way as the big machines pumping out content and why we're never going to have hundreds of thousands of subscribers or whatever, because because we're not we're not here to create the kind of controversy and drama that most people are looking for right the drama that what we are here to help you live 
is the drama of your own hero's journey. Is the drama of, of, of fulfilling your mission and purpose in life, even in the face of umpteen obstacles, even in the even in the face of death itself. Um, to embrace that fear and use it as the springboard for your courage to transmute all the fear and all the anxiety and all of the reservations to take that energy and harness it to to catapult yourself to to harness expiration to enter into the uh, place of inspiration you're welcome benjamin thank you again for uh being here and god bless you as well and Jennifer says, thank you so much uh, for this much-needed message today. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Um, well, thank you for being here, Jennifer. And you're always welcome. And we hope to see everyone next week, if possible. And until then, uh, take care. Live in spirit. Be, be inspired. Just be. And to all of you, we say, inverential peace. And um, all the best. We'll hope to see you again soon.